call. It can be easy to take our daily routine for granted. Every day, going through the motions. At some point in time, at the end of our lives, we begin to ask ourselves, what did my life add up to? What did I live for? Who will remember me? What will they say about me when I'm gone? This is your wake-up call. Well, I want to welcome everybody to our brand new series called Wake Up Call. I want to welcome everybody who's in the room and also those who are watching us online and on TV. We're glad that you're a part of our service uh, as well. Let me tell you about one of the wake up calls that I had in my life. It happened years and years ago, just months before we started this church. I was laying in bed with my wife, and for some reason we were watching TV, and I had my arms, my hands under my armpits like this. And I felt something under one armpit that I didn't feel in the other armpit. And I said to myself, I said, self, I said, yeah. I said, that's not good right there. I got a lump in one armpit and nothing in the other armpit. So I raised my armpit up, and I'm starting to dig around. I'm saying, sure enough, there's a lump over there. I said, maybe I'm not mistaken. So I went over here, and I checked the lump over, and there was no lump on the other side. So I went back to the other side. Of course, my wife's watching this the whole time like I'm acting like a monkey or something. I'm not sure what's going on. And I said, Christy, I think there's a lump over here in this armpit, but there's not a lump over here. Now, you know your wife loves you when she starts digging around in your armpit. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I, I, I feel that right there. You, you probably need to get that checked. I said, you think? Well, we went and we got to the doctor about a week later. And the doctor, I raised my armpit up and he said, oh, yeah, there's a lump right there. And I raised the other side. Well, there's no lump there. I go, yeah, I already know that. And he said, well, I think you need to get that, you know, probably surgically removed. I said, so you think it's something? He said, well, it's definitely a lump. I don't know what it is, but you probably need to get someone to operate and take it out. I said, oh, 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 okay, what, what, what could it be? And, and he didn't say cancer, but I had a feeling that the possibility was pretty good. Now, I love the medical field. I appreciate everything the medical field does. They are overwhelmed, and they've always been overwhelmed. So you know in New Mexico, for those of you in Belize, you'll understand this, it takes a long time to see a doctor. And so when I got scheduled for the surgical appointment, I had to wait almost a month to see that particular doctor. Now, I've got this lump, and it's not going away. And day after day, I'm checking this lump. And so my mind is taking me to places that I don't want to go. Now, my daughter at the time, my oldest daughter, Mackenzie, was about three years old. And uh, my middle daughter, Hannah, she was on the way. Christy was pregnant with her. And I remember driving to work thinking to myself, is this it? Is this it for me? Am I not going to get to see my kids grow up? Is that what's going to happen here? Is my wife going to be left alone to raise these kids? And she's young. I bet she'll get married again. And she, she better not get married to anybody that I know. Because if I find out who that's going to be, I'm going to punch him in the face before I die in Jesus' name. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to punch him as hard as I possibly can. All these thoughts and all these questions. Do I have cancer? Do I have, how much longer do I have to live? Do I have to go through chemotherapy? Do I have to go through radiation? I was just spiraling out of control. And then I thought to myself, what's my life added up to? I mean, what, what have I accomplished? What, what have I done for eternity? I mean, is, am I leaving my piece of the world in better shape than the way that I found it? And one day when I stand before God, which might be sooner than I thought, will he look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he just kind of shake his head and go, well, at least you tried. All these thoughts were coming through my mind. Well, finally, the, the, the surgery came. And I went back, and they, and they took out the lump. And the doctor said, I think it looks good. But then I had to wait for pathology to find out whether it was cancer or not. And thankfully, it wasn't. And I just felt like... I had gotten my whole life back to me. 
But you and I both know that that day is going to come, right? The day's going to come for you. It's going to come for me when the test result isn't everything that we hoped that it was going to be. That they're going to say, well, it is cancer. And then you're going to have to fight that thing. And you're going to have to do these different steps and all this anxiety. And you're going to look at your life and say, what did it measure up to? What, what, that, what lasted? What, what mattered? What counted? I find it very interesting. I was reading this book the other day. He said this. I think it's interesting. He said, most people die slowly. That's true, isn't it? Most of us are going to know that we're dying. Aren't you glad you came to church? This is so encouraging, Todd. Thank you for this. That's great. Very few people die quickly. You know, you, you got your murders out there. You've got your accidents. You got your heart attacks. But for the most part, people know they're going to die. And they end up on this thing we call the deathbed, waiting for death to come. One day after the other, one week after the other. And questions come into people's minds when they find themselves on the deathbed. The same questions that I had in my mind. Did my life matter? What did I really give my life for? What did I really live for? What, what did I do that had any kind of eternal significance? Did the way I lived my life leave anybody in better shape than the way that I found them? So many questions, so little time. Think about that moment for a second. Will you have regrets on how you lived your life because you squandered your one shot at life pursuing things that didn't matter and didn't count and you didn't even realize it till you got to your deathbed? Will you have massive regrets, some regrets? Will you have no regrets at all? Think about it for a second. Or the, maybe not. Millions of people don't. Millions of people just aimlessly live their lives where one day bleeds into the next and one week goes to the next and before you know it, a month's gone by and then a year's gone by and then a decade's gone by and then their life has gone by. But here's my question. If you're going to delay thinking about what your life is really about and where you're heading with your life, won't it be too late to make any changes when you end up on your deathbed? Because when you're on your deathbed, it's too late to make any adjustments. So wouldn't we want to think about this right now so we can make the changes in our life, so we can make the impact that we want to make? That's what Alfred Nobel did. He woke up one day to find out that he had died. At least that's what the headline of the newspaper said. French newspaper, this is what it said. The merchant of death is dead. You see, Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. The article Continued through the obit, said Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. The false obituary woke him up. And he said, I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to be known for the doctor of death, the one who's killed more people faster than anybody else. I want my life to be known for peace. And so what Alfred Nobel started, he started the Nobel Peace Prize. And when you hear Alfred Nobel's name, you don't think about dynamite. You think about peace. You see, he decided that he was going to change the trajectory of his life. Why? Because he knew how brief life really is. Look what the Bible says here in James chapter 4, verse 4, 14. It says, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Here today... Gone tomorrow. I've got up here with me a can of Glade air freshener from Johnson & Johnson. Isn't that nice? People use this after they use the facilities when they're being courteous to other people in the home so they might be seeing color after they're done. That's how that works right there. 
And so they spray this on, and the beautiful aroma takes over for that moment in time. So James says this. He says, you're but a mist. That was you. And then you're gone. Here for... (coughs) Let's put that down. Here for a little while, and then... Did you see yourself? Looks like we have a smoke machine up here, doesn't it? Life's short, isn't it? Life doesn't last very long. And eternity, well, it's eternal, isn't it? And the interesting thing is how we run our life, how we live our life, kind of matters for all of eternity. So think about how is it that you're living your life and then think about what's going to happen that moment that you breathe your last breath on this earth. You will be ushered into eternity. What will that be like for you? There's a lot of wiggity-wack ideas that people have about what happens after a person dies. There was a book that came out years ago called Love Wins. Maybe you heard about this book. In the book, the author says that every single person gets to go to heaven in the end. Didn't matter if you trusted in Jesus Christ to be the leader and forgiver of your life. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That's because it is too good to be true. Listen, every, nobody wants people to go to heaven more than God wants people to go to heaven. And he, he went to the greatest lengths to make certain that we could go to heaven. God became flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He dies on a cross, rises again from the dead. He conquers death, sin, and the grave. He provides a way for us to get to God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Though our sins are as red as crimson, he'll wash them as white as snow. And all you got to do is admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And commit your life to him. Everything you are, everything you hope to be, you give it over to him. And he starts preparing a place for you in heaven. That's the truth. People say to me from time to time, I cannot believe that a good and loving God would send somebody to hell. No, 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 friends. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God's done everything in his power to make sure that nobody goes to hell. Listen, God has chosen a long time ago to want to have a relationship with every single one of us. Here's the problem. Thousands of us, millions of us don't want a relationship with him. And so he extends his hand of friendship to us. He extends his hand of forgiveness. And we say, I don't want that. Get that out of the way. I'll live my life the way I want to. Then we end up going to hell as a result of our rejection of Jesus Christ. And then we have the audacity to blame God for it. I'm sorry, friends. In the end, love does win for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me give you another wiggity-wack idea that's out there, what happens to people after they die. A purgatory. Have you ever heard this one? Purgatory uh, is is a belief that some people espouse to. Uh, it's the belief purgatory is a place that's, that hovers between heaven and hell. And so when your loved one dies, you end up, uh, that loved one dies, ends up in purgatory because they have to pay for their sin. And once they paid for their sin, I don't know, maybe a day, maybe a week, a month, a year, a decade, I don't know, depends on how bad they were. Once they paid for their sin themselves, then they can go on up into heaven. Of course, it's not found in the Bible. You knew that, right? This is right from the Catholic Encyclopedia. This is what it says, and I quote, 
the doctrine of purgatory is not explicitly stated in the Bible. It's not scripture. It's a tradition that the Catholic Church has held dear to their hearts, and they didn't even believe in it till 1439 at the Council of Florence. They've come up with this space where you end up because you weren't good enough to get to heaven, and so you have to pay for your sins, and once you've paid for your sins, then you get to go into heaven. It's not found in the Bible. You know why? Because it contradicts the Word of God. What does the Bible teach us about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? It teaches us that our sins have been paid in full by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That you don't have to pay your sin debt yourself. In fact, you couldn't pay your sin debt yourself because your sin debt was so great there was no way you could pay for it yourself. Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus was crucified. Jesus paid our sin debt. Remember what he said from the cross? Tetelestai. It is finished, paid in full. Purgatory is the direct opposite. It's like God's double charging. Oh, I know Jesus paid for your sin, but you're going to pay too. Oh, I know Jesus went through it, but now you're going to get some also because you're the one that did it, right? There's all these wiggity-wack ideas. What happens when you die? Because, goodness, friends, it's coming quicker than you think. Well, the Bible says this, it's a point for men to die once and then to face judgment. You and I have an appointment. You won't be early and you won't be late. There'll be that moment in time when you'll be ushered in the very presence of God. And if you have rejected Jesus Christ as the leader and forgiver of your life, you've never trusted in him to be your Lord and your Savior, you didn't want to live your life for him, you didn't love him, you didn't want to serve him, you didn't accept his forgiveness, you will go to a place called hell or Hades. And it's a place of torment, it's a place of suffering, it's a place that you don't want to be. And you will wait in that place until Revelation chapter 20 comes to be, and that is where it's called the great white throne judgment. You will stand before God, for those of you who have never trusted in Jesus, and books will be opened, they'll be the books of your life. Everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, every motive and intention of your life will be laid out before you. And for all of you who believe that you don't need Jesus to be your leader and forgiver of your life, that you'll get to heaven based on your good works, you're going to find out on that day that you weren't that good. On that day, all these books are going to be opened up, and every unkind word, every unkind deed, every time you had the opportunity to do something good and you turned the other way, every time your motives weren't pure, God's going to reveal every single one of those things to you. And because you rejected Jesus Christ, because you wanted nothing to do with him in this life, he will have nothing to do with you for all eternity. He'll just look at you and say, you had it your way. You wanted nothing to do with me on the earth. I'm not going to force myself on you now. Depart from me, you evil and wicked person, into the fires of hell itself, and you will be cast into the lake of fire. So you got to think about your life. you got to think about what you're living for. you got to think about what you're doing with this one shot of life because life is brief, isn't it? Life is but a mist. Now, that's what happens to the person who isn't a Christian. What happens to the person who is a Christian? Well, there, there's a, a belief out there that some people have espoused to called soul sleep. So when a Christian dies, they say, well, you go into a soul sleep and you wait for your judgment, uh, kind of like you sleep it off until the end of the age. 
they get this concept from 1 Thessalonians where Paul refers to Christians who have already fallen asleep. Now, he uses that term falling asleep not to literally say that they're in soul sleep. He's just trying to come up with a nicer way to say they're dead. You ever done that? You know, they, they kick the bucket. You don't say, well, they're dead, right? He's dead. They died, right? You say, oh, no, he's gone to the great beyond. You know, he's gone ahead of us. You don't just say he's dead. And so Paul's saying, listen, they've fallen asleep. Such a nicer term, isn't it? What happens for the Christian when they breathe their last breath. Do you go into a soul sleep? No, you do not go into a soul sleep. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes this. He says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you die, you go immediately into the presence of God. Philippians chapter 1. Paul's in prison once again for proclaiming that Jesus has risen again from the dead. And as he's sitting there in prison, he's writing to the church at Philippi. And as he writes to the church at Philippi, he's thinking about what might happen to him. He's not sure he's going to get out of this jail alive or dead. And he says, you know what? It's better for me if I die. I'd rather just go on up and be in the presence of God right now. But and then again, if God wants me to continue to live, well, that means fruitful labor and I'll be able to advance the kingdom of God. He says, I'm kind of in a win-win situation. This is what he writes. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better. Now, the language used here is an immediate departure of the soul after death, isn't it? Do you remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first Christian martyr. They didn't like what he had to say about Jesus rising again from the dead, and they dragged him outside of town. They threw him in a pit. They took softball-sized rocks, and they were going to stone him to death. And just before Peter breathed his very last breath, the heavens opened before him, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is what it said. Stephen said, I see heaven opening, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Sounds like he's heading right up to the presence of God, doesn't it? Do you remember just days before Jesus is crucified for the sins of all mankind? He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration because both Elijah and Moses come to talk with him. Elijah and Moses aren't asleep, are they? They're fully awake, aren't they? Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was between two different thieves. One to the left, one to the right. One of the thieves said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? He said, I promise you today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, oh, man, you'll sleep it off for a few thousand years, then I'll come get you. No, he said, today is the day. So what happens when you die? Well, you'll be ushered into the very presence of God, and you'll be judged. And the judgment for a Christian is called the Bema Seat Judgment. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day of judgment will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward." If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Okay, follower of Christ dies. Immediately ushered in the presence of God to be judged. Your judgment, Christian, has nothing to do as to whether or not you're going to go to heaven or hell. 
that has already been decided. The blood of Jesus Christ has already covered all of your sins. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. If you have repented of those sins, and repentance means you turned away from their, those sins and said, I don't want to live that way anymore, the blood of Jesus has covered all that. Look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So we won't stand there to be condemned. We will stand there, you ready for this, to be rewarded. See, we think, oh my goodness, we got God is going to judge us. And we thought, oh my goodness, that's scary. I'm really, really scared about God's judgment because you think of a judge in a courtroom situation with the gavel and he's going to you know, make you guilty. He's going to slam that thing. There's another kind of judge, isn't there? There is the judge that watches like the Olympic Games, and at the end, he awards those who did well with medals. This is the kind of judge that we're talking about in this passage of Scripture. He is there not to slam you, not to condemn you. That's already happened to Jesus. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. No, he is there to award you on that day for the way that you lived your life, for the way that you leveraged your life for something that was greater than yourself, for the way that you advanced the kingdom of God and you built up the kingdom of God. He will reward you on that day. Now, I want you to get this. Your salvation is secure because of what Jesus did for you. Your good works are a result of your salvation. We do not do good works to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to add to God's salvation. Rewards impact, uh, our good deeds impact the rewards that we will be given. Look at what the Bible says here. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Think about that. God is taking note of every word, every kind word, every encouraging thing that you've ever said to somebody else. God is making notes on your life. And even when you gave a a simple gift to someone like a cup of cold water in his name, there's going to be a day that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to reward you. Can you imagine this day, how awesome this is going to be? You will be blown away at how your generosity impacted thousands, maybe tens of thousands of lives. You will be blown away at seeing how God answered your prayers in ways that you did not expect that were greater than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. You'll be blown away as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords thanks you for being a light at your job, for being a light at your school, for being a light at your home. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will thank you for being Jesus to people, for walking into a room and seeing a need and meeting the need. That day is coming, friends. So the question that I have for you, the question that I have for me, since life is but a mist... How's your book going? What are you really living your life for? What are you really giving your life to? 
Are you leveraging your time and your talent and your treasure for something bigger than yourself? Or are you just living for yourself? You see, the Bible says in this passage of Scripture that everything that we've done will be thrown into this fire. And what if what we've done was the right way, with the right motives, for the right reasons, that we'll be rewarded with gold and, and silver and costly stones. But if everything we've lived our entire life for burns up in that fire, the Bible says he himself will suffer loss and he will escape as one escaping the flames. He still goes to heaven, but by the skin of his teeth. See, there's going to be some people in heaven with great regrets because they never did anything with their faith. They never impacted anybody's life. They never leveraged anything for the kingdom of God. They just lived their life as if they had tons of time, never realizing how short and precious life really is. Listen, I've made it the goal of my life to shut the line down. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I want to be in a situation when it's my time to go that everybody who dies one millisecond before me who's waiting in line to be judged by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I want somebody about, I don't know, 100 people back going, what's, what's taking the line so long? I don't understand. Why, why is the line moving? It's Todd. God's got a lot of rewards for him. Don't you want that? I mean, my God, there's not one of us that, you don't live your life in such a way when you stand before God and he says, next. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. I want the line to shut down. I want him to bring over the book of my life and then be another one. And another one. I want my book to be filled with big, hairy, audacious prayers where I believe that God could do greater things than anything I ever dreamed or imagined. I want my book to be filled with names of people who somehow God used me in some small, insignificant way to somehow help them come, come into a relationship with him. And now they're going to be walking on streets of gold forever, forever. I want my book to be filled with love and with, with acts of love, with courage, and with risk. I want my book to be filled with a forgiving spirit. I want my life to matter. I want my life to count. I want it to count for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't want it to happen because I'm trying to make my name great. I want to live my life in such a way that I've made his name great. That's how you want to live your life, friends. That's what you're shooting for. That's what you're going for. This isn't an arrogant thing. Because the Bible says this, that once we're rewarded, that we will lay our crowns at his feet. Why? There are rewards. Oh, no, you're missing it, friends. Any good thing you've ever done in your life is because of him, and it's for him. And to him be all the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Can you imagine that moment in time? When all God's people gather together and they throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus, don't you want something to throw? Death is coming, friends.
How's your book going? You're but a mist. That was you. Blink of an eye. And it's over. You looking forward to this day? Because you're living your life the way God always wanted you to live it. Or are you dreading this day? Because when everybody else is throwing crowns, you're going to be doing this. I don't want that for you. So let this be your wake-up call. What are you living your life for? Who are you living your life for? Some of you, you hate when we talk about death. You know why? Because you're scared to death of death. You're scared to death of that first five minutes because for you, it's still up in the air. It's still in limbo, and you don't know where you're going to go. You don't know if you're going to go to heaven, and you don't know if you're going to go to hell. Because you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never trusted him. You've never asked him for his forgiveness. And you've never taken your relationship with Jesus seriously. And so when we talk about this, you say things like, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I don't know. I think I'm a good person. Didn't I already defunct that one? Ain't nobody good enough. And if you're going to wait to find out that you weren't good enough, it will be too late. You will be cast into the lake of fire. Well, we can do something about this today, can't we? Today can be our wake-up call. The day where we realize our great need for forgiveness, our great need for his love, for his grace, for his plan, and for his purpose in our life. Listen, you were made by God and for God, and nothing will ever satisfy you except for him. So stop chasing the wind. Stop chasing after things that are here today and gone tomorrow, things that don't matter, things that don't last, and set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on his agenda. Set your eyes on his kingdom. And live your life to hear him say, well done. Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to talk to someone today about giving your life over to Jesus Christ, in this room, you can head over to the First Steps room. And we would love to sit down and talk to you about how you can have a real relationship with the real God who really does love you. And if you're at home you're watching me online or you're on TV, you can call me or text me at 505-922-9200 and there'll be a pastor there waiting for your text or waiting for your phone call to have a life-altering, eternity-changing conversation with you. Friends, you are but a mist. Time is short. This is not one of these things where we keep saying, I'm going to wait till tomorrow, or I'll do it next week, or I'll do it next month. No, today is the day of salvation because you have no guarantees. And if you're going to get to living your life well, you start today, right here, right now. We're going to sing a song after I pray. And after we sing that song, that counseling room is going to be available and that phone number and that text number is going to be available, 505-922-9200. If the Spirit of God is saying it's time for you to make things right with him, then do it, friends. Do it right here. Do it right now. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, life is so brief. Lord, we think about pictures that we saw of our families just from 10 years ago and how things have changed so quickly. 
And before we know it, in the blink of an eye, another 10 years is going to go by. God, may we live our life for something that matters, for something that counts. May we sacrifice for you. May we serve you. May we leverage our life for you and put aside foolishness and put aside sideways energy and put aside making a name for ourselves. May we make your name great. God, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you, that today was their wake-up call and they would realize their great need for you, that none of us is good enough to get to heaven on our own, on our own merit. But we don't have to. You were good enough. You lived the perfect life. You died on that cross and you rose again. And if we'll just confess that you are the Lord, the leader of our life, confess with our mouth that you are Lord and believe in our heart that you were raised from the dead, you promise us that we'll be saved. That first five minutes when we breathe our last breath on this earth and breathe our first in heaven, we will be blown away because we will be ushered into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not to be condemned, but to be rewarded. You are ridiculous, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for letting us be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Please, God, don't let us squander our one shot at this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.